0: Good evening, I'm loud enough as it is, my wife tells me, that's a different story. Good evening again. We're glad you're here this evening. Thankful for your attendance, not only this evening, but uh, this morning if you were able to be with us, and even this afternoon if you were, we uh, will tell you we had a very good afternoon at the team singing. Uh, had about 110, 110 around, they did let the preacher count, so I don't know how, how accurate that is, but around 110, 11 congregations were represented uh, that signed in. I also had a good day at the uh, Saudi-Daisy uh, Saudi Healthcare Center over here, and uh, had a good afternoon of worship with those, some of those folks there. It's just been a good day, and we hope you've been able to be a part of it, and if you've not, uh, for, for all of it, that's all right, but certainly there are a lot of things going on uh, these days and a lot going on this month at the congregation, and, and we're excited about it, hope you are too, and, and uh, look for ways to be involved, not only in the, the fun things, but the spiritual things and our worship time and Bible study together, and we're just thankful for the time that we can can do that. Uh, if you were able, not able to make it to the teen scene, but you brought food, we want to say thank you before I forget for that. Uh, we had plenty and had enough and were able to feed everyone and had a good fellowship with all the young people and the adults that brought them, so we appreciate your support in that very much. If you've got your Bible, you can be opening to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, and we'll begin there. We're going to go over into chapter 7 and actually into chapter 8. If you have your bulletin in front of you, you'll see the outline uh, that we're going to look at tonight, and you're going to see a little bit about what we want to talk about uh, in the chapters there. And tonight we want to look at a particular man from the Bible that, that you no doubt have heard of before, uh, that you're possibly familiar with, and the picture you see on the screen there is just one that I was able to borrow, uh, I, but it's just a uh, rendering there, excuse me, didn't mean to go that far, uh, of, of what takes place there with Stephen. Uh, and we're familiar with that part, uh, at least of that story. We are going to get there in just a few moments as we think about uh, what happens at the end of his life there, as we read about it at the end of Acts chapter 7. Um, but when we think about Stephen and possibly being surrounded there by the people, you know, uh, I've, I've never really wanted to consider what stoning might have been like uh, when we think about uh, the punishment that that uh, we we give sometimes for those who have have committed very serious crimes and 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 taken lives, and we think about things that we have even used in our society and culture for a long time, and we go all the way back to the Bible, and we think about being stoned. And of course, in the picture there, you would see, as we'll look again in just a moment, at a young man by the name of Saul who was standing over to the side witnessing all this. When we think about Stephen, uh, there's, a, there's a really good uh, few chapters here that discuss just a, just a little bit about Stephen. You know, this morning in our lesson, if you were with us, we talked about the youngest missionary, we talked about a young slave girl from Acts, or excuse me, Second Kings chapter 5, four verses is all we talked about. We just know very little, and when we think about Stephen, there's not a whole lot that we know there as well, but yet there are some encouraging things, uh, you know, with, with what happens with him here in just a few short verses, and I think there are a few things that we can make as application for our life tonight, and that's what we want to share together in our few moments. Number one this evening, you don't have to live a long life to serve God. Now, again, when we think about the Bible, there are some people that we know a lot about. There are others that we know just a little bit about. Uh, but either way it goes, you know, the Bible it can only, con- only contain so much. And when we think about the lives of the people that we know, when it comes to Stephen, we kind of learn this lesson, you don't have to live a long life to serve God. An Old Testament passage that kind of references that would be Psalm chapter 90, uh, the 90th Psalm in verse number 12, where the psalmist says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Numbering our days, being uh, being considerate or thinking about how much time we have here upon this earth is something that... It lends itself a lot of times to those who may be a little older, or those who say, well, I've seen more days than I probably have left, and so I'm a little more considerate, think a little bit more about my time here upon this earth. But whether you live to be 90 or 93 or, a, or 100 or whether it's 40 or 50 or whatever it is, you don't have to live a long life to serve God. We should number our days, and there's so many passages that talk about that. We've mentioned a few of those last week when we talked about uh, our young people on Sunday morning about passages like Job 14.1, that man's days are short and full of trouble. Even James chapter 4 and verse 14, where James reminds us in James chapter 4 and verse 14 that we don't know what will happen tomorrow, but our life is but a vapor even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, over the last couple of weeks, I've been here at the building off and on, and even this afternoon, you stand outside or stand in the lobby there and look outside when it rains. You see that steam coming up off the parking lot after it's been hot, and then it rains a little while, and that just kind of is there for a moment, and then it's gone. And when we think about a vapor that is there for just a short time and vanishes away, we're reminded that we don't have very long. And whether it is 30 years, again, 50, we could pick out any number that we wanted to, all the way up to as old as, as we can live, you know, realistically today, it's not a long time, and we, but we have an opportunity to serve God. know, we're reminded of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, I'm reminded of that because that was a passage that seemed to come up a lot when I was a young person. It came up all the time at youth days and various events. Let no man despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct, in love and spirit, in faith and in purity. Obviously, there is a, a biblical principle there that we should all do that. We should all do our best to be examples to the believers, no matter our age and all of these things. While the onus there, or kind of the point, may be to a young man and to young people, let no one despise you, but be an example. We are reminded that at any age, we have an opportunity to be example in those ways. And at any point, we don't have to necessarily live a long life to serve God. Again, when we think about the life there of Stephen, uh, while he may have been a little older, and, and you know we may not have the exact count in all of the number of days that he was here upon this earth, uh, the world doesn't have to know a lot about you for you to serve God. You don't have to live a long life to serve God as long as you're doing what you can. And it sounds like a good sermon that we might have heard a little bit about this morning. As long as you're doing what you can, where you are in the time frame that you have, then you can serve God. And that can be encouraging to us, even when we think about Stephen, that just gets a few verses, but we can be reminded of that fact. Number two this evening, we can be a servant before anything else. We can be a servant before anything else. It doesn't take a whole lot. You don't have to be this great orator. You don't even have to be a great Bible class teacher in a sense. Again, this is along the lines of what we talked about. You don't have to be this great person that gets all the attention. You just can be a servant in many ways. There were several of us this afternoon. The teens were all gone. The scenes happening. Somebody's got to clean the mess, clean clean the hall over here. I almost call it the mess hall. I'm still at Bible camp. Uh, The mess hall over here. Somebody's got to clean the fellowship hall. Uh, But, you know, somebody's got to clean it up. Somebody has to be a servant and do that. And several pitched in, and, and that's fine. And others pitching in, we have the care teams that help out with things. But we can be a servant before we are anything else. What was Stephen Stephen might have been called just a table guy. If you've got your Bible open there to Acts chapter 6, you recall that the problem here with the seven who are chosen to serve are not with them, but the reason they're chosen to serve is because there are some table guys who are needed. There are some people who would do the cleaning, who would do the work, if you will, while the apostles are going to attend to the teaching. And as you think about there in verse number 2, that the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So seek out from among you these seven men of good reputation that can do this good work and we'll continue on in the prayer and in the ministry as they say there in verse 4. So I ask you a question then. How many people were lined up to be the first of the seven to be chosen? How many people were were lined up there say, "Pick me. I'll do I'll do the dirty work." Of course, we don't know. They were choosing from among themselves seven, but would we be one of those people that would be a table guy? Be a servant? I look around this congregation and I don't know many of you, haven't known many of you for a long time, but I see a lot of faces that I see of people who would gladly be a servant and be working. I've seen it not only at work in things like Monterey or Vacation Bible School, but even in this fellowship hall over here, people who would find a way to serve. We can do that. We're reminded of Luke chapter 22 and verses 24 through 26, continuing this idea of being a servant. Luke twenty two twenty four through 26, Jesus does that flipping of things, where he flips it around on people. Because a lot of times, people want to be the first one to sign up. Pick me to be the one to do the, the glamorous thing. I want to be the one that gets the attention. But when there was a dispute among them in verse 24 as of to which of them should be considered the greatest, he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. Now this is not the only place, certainly, that the Bible discusses this or that Jesus even mentions this. The idea that if you want to be the greatest, you would be the least. If you want to be at the top, then you would be at the bottom in that sense, you would be... A servant when we look at the life of Stephen we see someone who was willing to be a servant now did he go on to get some accolades or maybe to get some attention if you will did he go on to have a a, a portion of scripture dedicated to his story here absolutely but in the beginning he's just a table guy he's just a servant and what an attitude that we should have and amongst ourselves and, and among, amongst each other as we think about the opportunities that we have to serve. Sometimes it's in the fellowship hall. Sometimes it's in someone's home. Sometimes it's in the sending of cards, in the making of calls, and just encouraging one another. And as I said, I've seen it here. I, I know that you are imbo- involved with that, but I would encourage you this evening to continue with that. And continue looking for opportunities to serve because just as we see Stephen willing to do that, we also can learn that lesson from his life. Number three this evening, stand up for the truth. Stand up for the truth. If you have your Bibles open there, we'll look at Acts chapter 6 again, beginning in verse 8 through 15. As we think about the attack that happened on Stephen before the attack actually on his life. He's full of faith and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. And there arise some who will dispute with him at the end of verse 9. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses, who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us and all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel and as we begin chapter 7 they ask him the question there are these things so and he begins to deliver a, a pretty good gospel sermon there to encourage him and while we don't have the time this evening to take a look at all of that uh, we can just think for just a moment about what is said there the need to stand up for the truth truth sometimes it's very simple Sometimes it might be even a little easy just to say, you know, that's not true. That's some type of false teaching. Other times it takes a little bit of work and effort. Here in the case of Stephen, we see people who are deliberately and pointedly looking for folks who would speak out against him. You know, it's, it's hard sometimes to stand for the truth just when things are going on. It's got to be even that much harder to do when there are people who would just find people who would flat out lie about you. It would just tell false things. And that is what Stephen is up against here. I'm reminded of the words in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23. Proverbs 23 23. When the writer of Proverbs says, Buy the truth and do not sell it. And also wisdom and instruction and understanding. How important is the truth to you and to us? Are we willing to buy it and not sell it? And not just necessarily, just in any way in our lifetime. Are we willing to stand for the truth? The truth for the church? The truth for God? The truth for what we read in the Bible? Are we willing to stand up and speak when we have an opportunity to? Because not only does Stephen do so probably before in his life, But he's going to do so when he has the time here in Acts chapter 7 and is called upon to do just that. I'm reminded as well of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 through 5 where Paul writing to the Corinthians says, "...for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh." For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And to finish that section, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. When we think about the spiritual warfare, the spiritual war that lies before us, there is almost an infinite amount of opportunities to stand for the truth. Uh, We talked this morning in Adult Classroom 1 here for just a moment um, about the way that people a lot of times just go looking for trouble. Uh, that they will try to find any grain of anything they can hold on to. They won't search for the truth, and then they'll, they'll go and they'll spread it to everybody that they know. You know, it sounds like what we do and what the world does all the time, whether it's something like social media or Facebook or, or things like that, or, or even the people we come in contact with. We and, and other people take advantage of opportunities to, to just tell whatever they want to tell, whatever they know, whatever they think. We have a lot of opportunities to stand for the truth. You know, over social media and things like that, sometimes it's a little hard. Uh, Obviously, uh, you see people a lot of times who get in battles and wars and arguments that can't be won when you're typing back and forth to each other sometimes. But yet, we should take advantage of the opportunities that we have to stand up for the truth. When you put yourself in the position of those in the New Testament... Uh, When we think about people like Peter, who had to make a stand even before the Sanhedrin, just a few pages before in Acts chapter 4 there. Or you think about Stephen here, who's outnumbered. You know, constantly outnumbered, a lot of times, with those who would seek to take their lives. And yet they're going to speak the truth. A lot of times today, it's a little easier for us. No one's standing in our living room or outside of our door, necessarily here, in these United States, with a, a rock or rocks with a gun, or anything like that, even though they will do their best to tear us down. But we can learn from the life of Stephen to take advantage of opportunities to stand for the truth when it's easy, when it's hard, when you may be in the majority, majority for a moment, and when you're in the minority. Stephen did it, and I think that we can too, even when it may be a little difficult. Number four this evening, persecution is not exactly a bad thing sometimes. Now that's easy to say when I'm standing before a congregation of people of like-minded faith, and Stephen's the one on the ground catching the stones with his body there. But persecution is not always a bad thing. It shows us sometimes that we're doing what we should be doing, right? If we're not persecuted, then we may not be doing it right. Of course, that's the idea that Paul gives there in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, when he talks about that we will suffer. And again, that's the idea that we will suffer if we're making an effort if we're doing it right when he says in uh, 2nd Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 yes or yea and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution it does look a little different sometimes than maybe Stephen Uh, I'll be the first person to admit that I've not had to lay my life on the line like Stephen was doing there But yet we do suffer persecution from time to time. If you've been in a workplace, it's hard sometimes to stand for the truth. It's hard sometimes to speak out when you know that persecution will be coming on the other end. But yet it's something that we should be striving to do. Persecution is not exactly a bad thing. Well, where do we see that in the story of Stephen here? Well, if you've got your Bibles, look over in Acts chapter 8 for just a moment. When we come to the end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen becomes a martyr. And he is stoned, and he gives his life, his life is taken there. And beginning in chapter 8, the Bible says, Luke records for us, Now Saul was consenting to his death, and at that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul... He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And in verse 4, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So if you think about what actually takes place here for just a moment, not only with Saul, but with those others who just a moment ago were after Stephen, again from the end of Acts chapter 6 there, uh, they're stirring up the people, the elders and the scribes, the high priests, all of them are attacking him, even just verbally at that point. They've not got to the stones yet, but just verbally they're attacking him. But all those folks involved along as well as Saul are wanting to do what? well they're trying to quash this rebellion squash it if you will get rid of it but what happens instead in verse number four because of the persecution the people go and they're scattered and do they go and they scatter and do they stop at the first cave or barn that they see and hide and stay in hiding no as they go everywhere they go they're preaching the word You see, in the end, and we know the change that Saul makes, but in the end, the opposite takes place because these people are wanting to stop these words about Jesus. They're wanting to stop these men. But when they start persecution and persecuting these people and they scatter, the word is spread. The word begins to go about into these other places. And as it says there at the end of uh, verse 1 in chapter 8, scattered throughout the regions of Judea, And Samaria, and of course, at this time, except the apostles. (coughs) Excuse me, they're able to go about, and they're able to go about their daily lives, preaching the word. Again, as we talked about this morning, being a missionary. What Saul and those other people end up doing in this case is sending people on mission work, essentially, without even meaning to or wanting to. But they're going to start traveling and they're going to take the word with them everywhere that they go. And so this persecution is not a bad thing in this sense. Now again, it's easy for us to say that standing here today when Stephen's the one who has lost and given his life. I understand that. But yet sometimes when we look around us, persecution can have some good effects sometimes. It causes some people to look around and to think a little bit about what is taking place. And when we see that in the life of Stephen, I think sometimes we would see that in our our life as well if, if we are truly persecuted because we're standing for the truth. Not if we're being lukewarm and simply just trying to go along to get along as many people in the world sometimes do. Fifth and finally this evening, the last point, the last lesson that we can learn from Stephen is that true preaching cuts to the heart. True preaching cuts to the heart. Now, I've already told you that Stephen preaches pretty good sermon here, giving, you know, the examples going back to the call of Abraham, talking about the patriarchs, talking about Moses, going all the way forward there and talking about how these people have an issue, they have a problem. But true preaching cuts to the heart. Well, let's look at a few examples of that. Because when we think about preaching, I've said this to you before, two things are going to happen to preaching. There's two responses. Think about the day of judgment. There's two answers. All right, you're either going to heaven or you'll be condemned to hell. And that's the only two options. It can't be both. It can't be neither. You don't get to ask for more time. You don't get to say maybe later. Can I go to the back of the line? Can you come back to me? There's two responses. True preaching brings about two responses as well. First of all, look at Acts chapter five and Verse 33. Acts chapter 5 and verse 33 there. As the apostles are on trial again, as they have been already in the first few chapters here of the book of Acts, Peter and the other apostles in answer in verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. In verse 33, when they hear the, this word, when they hear these words from Peter, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Now that's one response Now go over to Acts chapter 7 and verse 54. Now I would submit to you, and as you look at verse 54 there, you see what the response is. It goes along with what happens in chapter 5. But I would submit to you, Stephen gives them true preaching. Stephen gives them some tough preaching. If you're looking at verse 54, go back and begin at verse 51. What does Stephen say to them? You... Stiff-necked and uncircumcised In heart and ears You always resist the Holy Spirit As your fathers did So did you Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute And they killed those who foretold The coming of the just one Of whom you now have become The betrayers and murderers Who have received the law By the direction of angels And have not kept it Stephen gives him some true preaching He's going to lay it down for them. He's going to lay it out and give it to them straight. He sort of, you know, gets on them there, calls them stiff-necked and uncircumcised. He kind of is going at them a little bit. And when we come to verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Now, I hope not find that response here tonight. All right, let's just get that out there. Of The two responses, I hope not to find that among the crowd here this evening. But, you know, if it did or if it didn't happen... We have to stick to the true preaching of the word of God. And true preaching has two responses. All right. Now, the the passages on the screen here are the same type of response. That anger, that vile. and, And if you see it in Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 7, I would submit to you again. Have you looked at Facebook lately or watched the news? All right. The response is still the same a lot of times to the truth. And sometimes it comes from both sides, all right? Don't get me wrong. We see many people who would claim to be Christians that would be spewing vile things at people and causing a problem. Well, let's be honest about it. But a lot of times when true preaching comes out, when the truth comes out, a lot of people respond as the folks did there in Acts chapter 5, as well as Acts chapter 7. But while we're in Acts, you know Acts chapter 2. You know Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. But what happens in verse 37 when we look at the other way to respond when Peter is delivering these words, and, and you know, I would submit Peter doesn't exactly just give it nice and easy either there, right he, he may not use as many harsh words he, he may not you know get on them as much when we read it the, the way we read it here. What does he say in verse twenty nine though Have you ever really paid attention to the other part of it I, I, Possibly you have. You may have studied it before. Uh, We do focus on verse 38 a lot. What does verse 29 say? Men and brethren, I I can picture them. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you. Can can I tell you like it is? Can I give it to you as God would have me say it? And what does he say there at the end of verse 36? Before we get to the response. In verse 36, what does he say? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified both lord and christ he delivers the punch he gives it to him he says this is what happens this is what you have done and in verse 37 they respond and they were cut to the heart and they said to peter and the rest of the apostles "Men and brethren what shall we do you see you can gnash at people with your teeth you can get mad you can get angry about it or you can ask the question as they did here what shall we do we see a problem we see a problem here. We understand there's sin. There's something we have done. What shall we do? When we think about true preaching, true preaching cuts to the heart. And when true preaching cuts to the heart, there's two responses. It's the gnashing of teeth. It's the anger. It's the stones being raised to come down upon the preacher or someone that's telling the truth. And, of course, you know, we got the literal stone, right? But what about those stones of our words sometimes or the things that we say and do? Because a lot of times we'll raise those up and we'll get ready to attack somebody who's trying to give us some truth of a situation. But then the other response is that we're cut to the heart and we ask, what can I do? What happened? What did I do? How can I make a change? When we think about the life of Stephen, even laying down his life, and if you remember at the end of chapter 7 there, if you've still got your Bible open to Acts, as they stoned Stephen in verse 59, He was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know, the folks here have a problem. And we didn't even get into verse 57 when they cry out with a loud voice and stop their ears. You know, you picture your children. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. It's what it sounds like to me sticking their fingers in their ears. I don't want to hear it. The question for us now as we think about this true preaching and the life of Stephen is, will you follow in some of these lessons? And as we conclude this lesson specifically, the question is, which response will you have to hearing the true words of the gospel? We've not exactly preached the gospel per se. We thought a little bit about Stephen, but, but you, you've heard it no doubt. You've heard the true words of the gospel, and not just the true words of the gospel, but the true words of the entire Bible, the word of God, looking at it to examine ourselves, looking at it to see if we're living our lives in accordance with what it says. And when we do that, which of the two responses will we have? We're about to sing this song of invitation in just a moment to encourage you to think about what response you would make. Maybe you're here tonight and you have never become a child of God, you've not been baptized for the remission of your sins, as Peter goes on to say there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, so that the Lord can add you to his church. We would would be singing in a moment here to to encourage you to make that great commitment. But a lot of times, we don't exactly live maybe what we know of Stephen. We have issues, we make mistakes, we wander away, we fall away, and, and we cause our life... Uh, and ourselves be separated from God by our sin. Because when we read the Word of God and we think about the way we're living and we see that it doesn't match up, we're content just to uh, maybe not lash out or gnash with our teeth, just to ignore it, just to stay away, not worry about it, just to, just to kind of let it be, leave it alone. Maybe you're here tonight and you've become a child of God before, but you've wandered away, and we're thankful that God has made a way of repentance <laughs> That we can repent of our sin, confess those, and pray for forgiveness. And he is willing to do just that. That we can walk in the light as he is in the light. But it takes us having a response sometimes. Making a change in our life and saying that maybe my life doesn't match the way that that I should be living. The way that God would have me to live. Stephen was a great man from what we read about him. Did a lot of good things. Even though we read just a little bit, he set an example for us, and these are just a few lessons tonight of some of the things that we can learn from him. Maybe you see something in that that has caused you to think about your life. Maybe there's something else that's nagging at you, that's bothering you. That's why we're assembled together here to worship him, sing praises to God, and to worship him and study his word, but also to encourage each other. And we'll be encouraging you with the words of this song as we stand together and as we sing.